Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Surprise! A special episode for you guys. We have an interview with the new horror director of the movie The Unfamiliar, Hank Pretorius. That's right. And this is a film that they sent us a screener for, and uh, there's a review embargo and all of that. So this is actually going to be released after the film's release. So we hope that you guys listen to this uh, interview and enjoy it and then go watch the movie because we really enjoyed it. That's right. So for those of you who have not heard of The Unfamiliar, it is a movie about a returning war veteran uh, who thinks she may or may not be suffering from PTSD when some strange happenings go on with her and her family there's a lot of hawaiian mythology involved in this movie and a lot of like guessing and twists and turns yeah and that makes it really original because i feel like there's a lot of gold to mine uh as i'll state later in the interview with hawaiian mythology and he kind of goes into detail and explains uh why they chose hawaiian mythology and why it was so interesting to them yeah it really like whet my appetite for more like hawaiian (laughs) mythology movies i mean like who knew it was so exciting and unfamiliar as the movie is called right so here's our interview and stay tuned afterward and chris and i will talk about the movie for a minute well, it's really great to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you guys as well. Thank you very much for, for having me. I'm quite excited about chatting to you guys. Oh, and thanks for joining us. We're really excited about it. <laughs> I'm Chris. Hi, Chris. And I'm Robert. Hi, Robert. Uh, so just so you know who we are, uh, our podcast is called The Film Flamers, and we talk about horror movies, obviously. Uh, sometimes we'll choose like new movies or classic movies to deep dive into. And we also have lots of episodes where we talk about like recent movies and give like reviews and sort of hot takes about and um you know so we're, we're super excited to talk about your movie we really enjoyed it by the way oh awesome i'm, I'm very very glad to hear um but i um yeah i i also checked you guys out uh, after um ashley told me about it and yeah, i'm super impressed that i can't wait so so oh. awesome well thank you yeah, it's going out like literally in a couple of hours. So yeah. I know, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're very anxious about that too. I am. And I just got the list of like where it's showing and all the platforms and stuff, you know, and it's the first time we're going out in the US and I, I have no idea what it means. Like I have no reference for it. Um, normally by now I know how many cinema tickets are bought or I know how many theaters we're going out and where this, this is like completely new, you know. So yeah, it's quite, quite intense. So you guys are going to be on VOD as well as like some cinema showings? as um, Satellite, uh, VOD, pay TV channel. Um, we're not doing cinema anymore. They, the okay. big cities won't allow us. Yeah. So uh, they, they said, well, luckily we've got some premium deals with direct TV and so forth. Okay. You know, so all those mm-hmm. And I saw that it's uh, already on uh, pre-sale for iTunes, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pre-setting for until twelve o'clock, and then it's watch now. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, for our listeners who aren't very familiar with you or your work uh, or this film, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the unfamiliar? So, my name is Hank Pretorius. Um, I come from a teen comedy background. So, I started with my first film was a teen comedy, and it was called Bakhat, which is an Afrikaans name, and it basically means alpha geek. <laughs> That's the only way you can really put it, right? <laughs> and it was about this little guy that wanted this most beautiful girl in high school, but she was only into rugby players. And he had to go and like, become a real big star in rugby. And that turned out to be a trilogy. So I made an Afrikaans trilogy, which was the first trilogy ever made in South Africa. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and then after that, I've always had a passion for films that 
appeal to people. Like I like when I make a film, I like people getting into cinema, getting excited and leaving them with an experience. And then I produced like about seven other features in South Africa, all for the local market, or directed some, produced some. And then one film kind of was an outliner and it started winning awards everywhere and it yeah. called Fani Fris Labola. Mm-hmm. And on Fani Fris Labola, um, it was sent to Seattle Film Festival. I got this invite, come to Seattle. I loved it. I went all the way there. With a, you know, it was a very long journey. Got there and then I, I won the festival. And I didn't know what it meant to win a festival because Seattle mm-hmm. is the most attended festival in North America. And, you know, I didn't know. I had my photo taken with, on Getty and then I have, I was like, what is this? You know, it's like, and then you, yeah, this is my wood. This is my wood. So, this is my wood. This is what I want. So, so oh, cool. now, oh, that's awesome. this, now this travel, like just for your listeners, this is like solid metal. Mm. Now you're walking around on this as an immigrant in your handbag and, you know, not at a great time. And you're walking around and people taking this out. They say, sorry, sir, what is your handbag? And you're like, oh, <laughs> my award. I want a festival. Mm. <laughs> what festival did you, you know? So it was kind of funny, but anyway, so, um, and then I, I did Leading Lady, which was a guy called Gil Bellows and Katie McGraw, which um, really, really cool, cool people. And that was my first sort of in into talent and working in America uh, with American. Gil Bellows was from Shawshank Redemption. And he was uh, in, what's that? He was Billy from, oh, I can never remember the series, but it was like very famous series where he was Billy and playing Billy. And he was in Leading Lady in one of my films, and that got sold to 14 countries. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. So there's a market outside of my home territory. And then I moved to London. I met um, my business partner, Luan Griev, and we put up a British company that makes international films. And that's how we started working on The Unfamiliar, which is the film you just watched, the horror film. And um, and the first film that will have a proper distribution network in North America. And that's Dark Matter Studios, right? It's an Emir production company? Yeah, Dark Matter Studios. That's right. Um, So we really liked The Unfamiliar. And one of the things that really struck us was that there's a lot of Hawaiian culture and mythology in the film, which is something that you don't get to see very often in movies, especially horror movies. And um, we just wanted to know, like, what led you to that? And I mean, is it always something that you've been interested in or involved in? Actually, my co-writer, Jennifer Nicole Stang, brought this really thick book um, to my attention about the Hawaiian mythology. And I had a look at it and I was like, I I, I started reading it and I, I can't, I don't like reading a lot. So I started reading it. She summarized it. And as she was talking, the story just, you know, it sort of evolved organically in front of us. And we were like, wow, this this is this is a side of a wine people haven't seen before. Like tourists mm-hmm. go to Hawaii, they think they're gonna get flowers and smiles and everything's gonna be happy and then they're gonna have an all-inclusive holiday, <laughs> you know, and have fun. <laughs> but you don't know about the wine mythology and the Majinas mm-hmm. and the night marches and and all those things that we don't really speak about or we don't know about as as tourists or people that visit the Hawaii. And of course, there's only a small amount of people that actually know those stories. 
And so we delved into them for the unfamiliar. Yeah, it's certainly unfamiliar to me, right? So, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was an amazing journey in that movie, and it was it was neat the way that everything was like placed in it, all the different layers of Hawaiian mythology, and the fact that they get to travel to the to the state of Hawaii, you know, in the film. So it was very very interesting. It also seems like there's a lot of gold to mine there that has not been mined before. Oh yes, oh yes. And but the, the, the thing is, the thing is with that is like we try to make it true to the plot and be very authentic to the actual mythology. You know, so we didn't overdo it in the first one. Hopefully, there'll, there'll be another unfamiliar. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But there, there's a there's a huge story there still waiting to be told about the Wayan mythology and especially the kahuna story where you really delve into what does it mean to be a kahuna who can become a kahuna and and the spiritual journey of it's so such a wealth of spiritual journey that that these people go through in in hawaii and like the night marches you actually get tours that you can go and tour on hawaii the island and they'll take you on a tour and they'll say, listen, if you know, if you come on the path of a night marcher, you have to lie down, take off all your clothes, and don't look them in the eye. And and that's the that's the actual way you make sure that a night marcher doesn't harm you, you know. So it's it's quite intense. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get a chance to do that before making the movie or during? <laughs> I took off my clothes a couple of times in my younger life. I sort of, you know, stopped doing that later on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um no we, we we didn't do the tour but uh, we absolutely uh, indulged in the mythology your film also tackles the tough subject of veteran ptsd in a way that's sensitive but also advances the horror of the film uh, how important was it to you to have this in your movie it, it was important in the sense that i was hanging out with a bunch of marines and these guys in LA, it was it was so awesome hanging out with them, first of all, because they had all these stories. But the moment I started asking challenging questions of the scars that you come back with, or I, I tried to connect on a slightly deeper level, I was brushed off a little bit. And I thought, that's interesting. It's interesting that these people go through these dramatic events, very dramatic, and they don't really want to talk about it. And yeah. that's kind of the journey you see Izzy. And that's that's what I indulge in the unfamiliar where she doesn't really talk about it. She doesn't indulge in it too much. She thinks she may have it. And then, of course, you, you use it as a, a way to guide or misguide the audience in, in the journey. But even if it was an intense PTSD and she did have a traumatic experience at all, as you know, she won't necessarily discuss it in detail with her husband, which made it tricky because you you kind of have to show the audience what is going on in her head. And I didn't want to use a voiceover or a, or a device like writing in a diary and then she says what she's thinking. So you've you got to show it in a performance in the subtext of, of, of the film that she's actually quite guarded and she doesn't want to show her husband, which is, of course, uh, was quite another challenge to, to write him, but uh, which we can get into later when we get into the spoil uh, part of this, this chat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so these Marines that you were hanging out with at the time, did you go back and consult with them when you were co-writing the movie or directing to sort of like get a different idea of their experiences in real life or let them know that you're even making a movie about PTSD? Y- yes, no, no, absolutely. We we did a bunch of interviews with them. Uh, Jennifer did a bunch of the, with them as well. And we really asked them questions and they opened up about it, you know, and they told us uh, what it's about and 
you know, even Deed is uh, still a friend of mine. Um, he, he's mm-hmm. quite excited to see the film, so I, I hope I do him justice. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll like it. So Jemima West, who plays Izzy in the film, and Harry McMillan Hunt, who plays Tommy, and Rachel Lynn as Auntie May are some standout performances for us from your movie. Can you tell us about the casting of the film and what it was like to work with these actors and the rest of the cast? The casting of the film was so interesting. You know, uh, we, we we had this, this amazing tool um, in London where it's called Spotlight, where people actually send you videos of, of of themselves doing the role and then you get to choose and it's like hundreds of thousands of tapes you, you get to go through and look for everyone specific and that's how I found Harry McMillan Hunt you know the mm. little kid and I looked at him and I thought he just got that he's playing this character in a specific way to mean two things at once. And he knew the subtext of the role. He knew exactly what he was doing without me telling him what to do. And he had the most incredible memory. Like when I started working with him uh, uh, in studio, I could see like you could give him lines and he could just remember them. And you give him a stage direction, same thing. And he just had this like incredible, like he was never tired. He always, he loved what he was doing and he just went for it. And then Jemima West, uh, obviously she didn't have to audition. She, she, she's quite a name in, in Britain. And I offered her the role. We had a chat about the character. She, she got it. She loved the fact that it's uh, a strong mother trying to keep her family safe, uh, coming back from war. She really liked the angle on it. And she indulged in the script. And from the conversation, we knew we were going to work together. And when we did, um, she, she's one of those people that she could really go to the army and survive it. You know, she's just, she's that person that just like gets on with it. Um, She did these incredible stuff underwater and these underwater scenes, and we had a limited time to shoot them. Um, And she was just incredible. You know, she did all her own stunts. Uh, She didn't stop. She just carried on and on, take after take. And uh, yeah, it was amazing to see the the level of professionalism, basically. And, And then with Rachel, um, Rachel Lynn was an interesting choice because she's from Asian descent, mm-hmm. whereas the Medina is actually an a, from Asian descent, descent as well, the mythology. So it's actually a Japanese mythology. And so I thought, well, wow, that's interesting. So I thought it'd be quite cool to just put it in there and see if someone sees it, like a little breadcrumb, you know. And I... I, I looked at Rachel and I said, well, you gotta, you got to learn you know, to speak Hawaii, but there was only 2,000 people, basically, that can speak Hawaiian. And then the mountain of Pele erupted, oh, not mountain of Pele, the, the um, volcano erupted. And then mm-hmm. they thought it was the god Pele that made the volcano erupt. Mm-hmm. So there was this professor in Hawaii that said, no, you can't, you can't help us with this film because of we made the volcano erupt. And I said, no, but no, you know, <laughs> I don't think we did, but um, I'm very sorry about it. And um, I said, can you st- still help us, you know? And I gave him a little backstory. He said, no, I can't. I, I can't. I, this is what I believe. You made the volcano erupt. So I, I said, well, I'll need to um, probably, I don't know, like, apologize but then at the same time need someone else to speak a wine and we had to like phonetically teach these actors to say these words 
and we got a voice coach in from um, that's very good with accents to actually learn how to say it. And then Rachel had to, to learn it as well as Ethan and so forth. So that, that's kind of what she had to go through. Plus she obviously had to do the American accent and all those things. So it was, was quite a challenging role for her just in terms of accents, I suppose. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, obviously they did a good job because I didn't even think twice about any of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It seemed incredibly natural to me for all of them, you know. I know we touched on this a little bit, but with the COVID pandemic stretching around the world, cinemas have been closed or running limited businesses for months now. And obviously in the U.S., independent horror has made headlines this year by topping the box office, mostly due to drive-in theaters. Uh, what are your thoughts on releasing a film during a pandemic? And did you ever have to rethink your release strategy? Yeah, we we. We absolutely have to, me, me and my business partner, Llewellyn, uh, we, we were in a place where we had this cinema deal, this theatrical North American thing. And it's it's kind of your dream, you know, you dream about it since yeah. you're a young kid, you know, you want this. I mean, can you imagine? You, you guys won't know how, how American culture influenced us, you know. We used to like look up and like, you know, even Chuck Norris, we love him, you know. <laughs> That's the <laughs> extent of American culture. You know? We don't even mock him, we love him. So, so you know, just the idea of going out and cinema was amazing. And then what happened was, um, I remember the call, Alan gave me a call and he said, well, what if everyone takes everything away from us? What what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? And then we redesigned our marketing strategy and we went digital. And we said, we're going to get the best players in the world. And we got a company called Just Watch to push our trailer out at the right market, to understand exactly the algorithms, how that work. We're going to get a, a PR company, actually Starburst, which is a South African-based PR company, but we believe in them 100% that they'll go the extra mile. We're going to team them up with legends like Way Too Blue and big PR companies in, in North America and so forth, and they're going to be our muscle, and we're going to drive this thing and do as much as we possibly can because we're proud of the film. And obviously, luckily the streaming platforms and VOD market went up. So at the same time as the theatrical went down, we had an opportunity where people are suddenly at home, they're bored, they don't know what to do, and they click and they're like, oh, there's an unfamiliar, it's a cool trailer, maybe they watch it. Problem mm. is, how do you get through the noise? You know, how do you, how do you get through that noise? And luckily my wife actually is a, is a singer-songwriter. So if you think we have noise in the film industry, the, the music industry is just incredible. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, I'm sure. SoundCloud and all that. Yeah, it's exactly. You know, so so we took a book from uh, from that and we said, listen, we've got to get through this digital noise. And hopefully we did. You know, hopefully we did. We'll see tomorrow, I suppose. Well, the trailer is like outstanding i think it was the first thing that that we saw before we watched the movie and you know got a chance to talk to you based on on that and I th we were super interested so it's a perfect trailer and i know that people are going to be very interested just based on that but the unfamiliar seems to be like your first foray into horror right as a director or writer or filmmaker um so what are some of your favorite horror movies and did you look elsewhere for some inspiration when you got you know behind the camera and started to direct the, your cast i i got you know, the thing is, I got this huge box of horrors that uh, my producer left at my door and said, watch them. Because uh, he wanted to, he was so passionate about making horror. And I, I was, mm. I'm just like really scared of it. So I, I started watching it and it was education. 
It was literally mm-hmm. uh, from being very scared to being very impressed and to now looking at the mar- the horror masters and going, you know, the John Carpenters mm-hmm. or, or, you know, the Kubricks and, and going, wow, you guys are incredible. You, it's a search for the truth in the darkness of humanity. You know, there, there, mm-hmm. there's a certain authenticity that, that comes of horror that a lot of genres don't do. They don't delve that deep into it uh, in, in the search of, of, or in dealing with something that we all feel as human. And that inspired me. That feeling was basically storytelling, but it was a, a, a daring storytelling. It was, it was something that you can be brave in and you can take a character and take everything away from her, all her securities and her family and the, the ideal family, the idea of gender even, you can take away from this character and you can see her like fighting it out into, in facing an invisible enemy, basically. And you can go as far as you want. Um, and that inspired me. So to come back to your question, what the, the horrors I looked at, um, I, I love Stanley Kubrick. I, I, lo- I love, I, I love him because it's not a horror; it's a story, and the story delves into into horror. And I know um, Stephen King and him had a little bit of a thing about, um, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, 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 I realized that I'm I'm stepping on some horror toes, and. Then even films like The Babadook I loved and Sinister I loved, like the modern classics, you know. Um, obviously, I loved Halloween and I loved the way John Carpenter took uh, horror into the, your imagination and he showed you a little bit, but he didn't show you everything. And you made the monster in your head. And then um, uh, then Sixth Sense, for instance, which is a mainstream horror, I love because of the, the way the plot twists and you don't know, really know what's going on and the way you used red in it and... The, the way the dramatic the side of the story was told and you can understand the characters' back history, where they were coming from. So there's so many, I don't see horror as a genre anymore. I just see it as good storytelling and sometimes not so good, but um, I see it as a story and it's the opportunity to delve into something a little darker, a little, a little more honest sometimes. And, and that's what I like about it. Yeah, that reminds me of something I heard once. I've forgotten who said it, but it was like a horror movies are a practice in extreme human empathy. Yes. Ah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. So we've got a few spoiler questions for you. Sure. Starting with, there's a, a very interesting red herring in your movie that starts when Izzy uh, goes to see the therapist and meets the paranormal expert. Uh, and I thought that was a very effective reveal moment in the film, but also serves the teaching moment about preying on victims, PTSD or, or not. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I'm a, I'm a filmmaker in the sense that I I really indulge in the plot and the character of things. And I look at it very mathematical. So it's, it sounds odd, but what I mean with I was invested in the story to always guide or misguide you throughout the journey and make it a breadcrumb horror. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a horror that leaves you with little clues and sometimes it guides you to something and sometimes it misguides you. And so that red herring you, you're specifically talking to, uh, about the sounds is basically one of those moments where you actually think as an audience member after the sounds is revealed as exploitive, you you think that you figured it all out. You think, okay, well, now she is insane. She she has PTSD or whatever, um, you know, 
whatever you want to call it. But basically, we're looking at a woman losing her mind. And that was the point of that scene. It was to, it was to show the audience, listen, you're actually quite prejudiced towards her now at the moment. Like when, when it's revealed, maybe she's not. So it was, a, it was a, a way to show you that even as an audience member, you sit there, it's always about the information and context. So you can only judge something about the context and the information you have, right? And at that mm -hmm. stage, you only had a limited amount of information. So you you made a prejudiced judgment towards Easy, which she turned out not to be. And it's kind of that's kind of the the reason why the the, the film is written like it's 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 written is is to show us that every time you think you may be right about something, you may be wrong. And sometimes you may be right about something. That's great. But, you know, and I hope that does it in the film throughout. And even the last, last beat of the film does that, where I'm saying, you know, you think I'm saying, you may think I'm saying, well, maybe she should stay at home and, you know, she'll be safe and then look after her family and, and, and everything will be fine. And then, oh, no, maybe it's not that. Mm -hmm. So I try to leave you with questions rather than answers. And as a filmmaker, I think, you know, I think as a philosopher, um, a philosophy, someone said that it's there to, to understand the question better and not necessarily to give you the answer. And I think that's, to me, philosophy. It's like I want, I want us to understand questions better and I want us to delve into our own prejudice and to how we see the world resolving and the information we have and whether we sometimes may be wrong or sometimes we're right you know, and, and maybe leave more room for growth and for better understanding. I really like the way you talk about that, because to me, a good horror movie is a journey and a really good horror movie is a maze, right? So it takes you in different places, sometimes dead ends, and sometimes and ultimately will lead you to the end of it, right? And here at the Film Flamers, we oftentimes talk about horror adjacency and how we can find horror aspects in any kind of genre of film. And sometimes the scariest parts of horror movies are the basic everyday life scenarios that we get to see. And I think that The Unfamiliar has a lot of that, right? It has it in spades because a lot of the movie is about returning home from war and, you know, getting to know your family again and getting to know a child that you gave birth to and really haven't seen in much of its existence, right? And I, I love the way that you handled this in the movie. And I mean, so like, was it was it very important for you to like explore those familiar aspects as far as Izzy's character is concerned and sort of like get away from some sort of visceral horror and then lead back to it? Does, does that make sense? Like, the, is that part of your maze? Yeah, I guess the question. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love yeah. that maze analogy. That's really cool. I might, I might take that. Oh, but it, feel that's free. a really nice word for it. Um, but what it, what it was is like, I didn't, want to do horror for the sake of horror. I didn't want to do yeah. jump scares for the sake of jump scares. I I wanted the audience to be inside of a head and 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 feel the anxiety and suspense of that. And also I, I didn't want easy to be the, this like colorful character and walk around and talk to her husband in a way that's kind of poetic or doesn't feel real. I wanted her to be not middle of the road, but someone coming back for more. There was a British army doctor that's quite serious about life. You know, she's, she goes there because she, she, she feels in an ideology sense that that's the right thing to do, you know, to go and help that country. And it's not, she's not going to fight. She's going to heal their wounds. Mm 
And mm-hmm. as she heals their wounds, she becomes wounded and she comes back with scars. But now her family's changed and she's not completely sure why. And also she thinks maybe it's her fault because maybe not being there for her young baby and for her, you know, stepdaughter and her son, she obviously feels this guilt. But the problem was in writing the script and with the reveals coming that I couldn't really indulge in her having a conversation with her husband or with, because then I'll give something away, right? So right. I had to write it, you know, Jenny had to write it in a way that it, that it never delves into that part of, of, of the relationship where, where you just like go, listen, this is, this is what's happening in my head. Where are you at? Or what are you doing? I had to like smoke and mirror, smoke and mirror, smoke and mirror, smoke and mirror. So it was quite a challenge to work with such a complex thing as, uh, uh, you know, someone returning from war, having scars on her body, not feeling um, loved and uh, probably essential anymore. And then at the same time, not really being able to be intimate with a husband about it because he's not a husband. So, so it was, it was that that part was was quite challenging. Um, but yes, I didn't want the horror to sp- uh, spring off from the first, uh, and, I, and I wanted it to be a more psychological thriller. And then later on, you, you, it reveals itself as a horror. Yeah. You mentioned that you didn't want to have a jump scare just for the sake of a jump scare. But three of my favorite uh, scares in the movie include the mask shadow on the security camera, the daughter killing herself at the piano, and the the psychic seance scene. Um, As a new horror director, how do you prepare to shoot and edit those scenes together for maximum impact? That's such a good question. I I think the the thing is, I watch a lot of James um, Wan movies. I'm quite a fan of what he does and how he uses uh, beats to, to sometimes scary on the second beat or the third beat or the fourth beat. And it's always like mm-hmm. mostly fourth beats or second beat. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the way he was scaring, um, scaring his audience in films. And, and I thought except for the seance scene, I'm going to do it by book. I'm just going to go cut, 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 boom. You know, uh, so I'm going to do it on the third beat. I'm going to cut to the vase when she looks back, boom. And then I'm going to put big sound in. And that was my opportunity to really milk the horror. You know, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to go full cheese. You'll, you'll hear like demon voices. You can listen to it in the background and little chimes and wind chimes and everything you've ever, ever heard in a horror film, you'll see. But in the other scenes, I wanted to be a little bit more subtle or like a little offbeat. And obviously there, there was one or two, uh, I like the, the shadow you, you pointed out. Um, there, there was a little, I, I want audiences to have jumps. In the, I mean, it's part of the thrill. But I was trying to get it, like the piano scene, for instance, that it's a warning to her that something is not right. So it's a motivated mm-hmm. jump scare. It comes from a thematic point of place as well. Whereas the, I suppose you can say the seance is also motivated because they're trying to jump her and scare her and for her to pay more so that she can get rid of the demon. So I wanted to, the jump scares to have a thematic motivation or character motivation in them as well. There's one, I, there's one now that I'm thinking, mm, I don't think I can really 
um, convince you guys that that one had a motivation. That's the one where she walks down the hallway and she, she gets on the toy. But <laughs> apart from oh, that yeah. one. <laughs> that seance was very effective, though. Like, it really scared the hell out of me. So, like, kudos <laughs> to your filmmaking. Like, I was terrified. So. <laughs> Um, so the ending of the unfamiliar alludes to the fact that there could be a sequel, right? So is it something that you are interested in doing? And if not, I mean, would you ever make another horror film? I'm enjoying the horror family too much not to make another horror film, you know, like, Good. Uh, I like to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> since I've made a horror film, I feel like I, I actually have a community, <laughs> so, you know, which is, which is lovely. So, and especially in COVID and lockdown where you can go online and you know you can talk films and people don't criticize you they actually talk to you and they listen to you and they say their opinions it's quite a safe space which is weird for a horror family i suppose but yeah. i love it so uh, just to do that i would love to do it again and but i wanted to make something fun and horror like um so, so the the unfamiliar is is quite a i mean it's it's a serious horror, right? It's dramatic horror. And I loved making it. And to, to answer your question, I would love to do a sequel and or a television show or even a, a play. I want to put a play up and, and do the unfamiliar oh, yeah. as a play. Because you can sort of do it, you know, because you've got yeah. a, a limited amount of set. So uh, and my background is theater, by the way. I've, I've started in theater. So, yes, I would love to do something else with the unfamiliar. Um, and it does leave it open for a sequel, which... I've written in my head, but it's completely different to the one you've seen. So it won't be like a sequel where it's like, oh, okay, so now Easy does this. It'd be like something that you've seen it, but you don't see, you, you don't think you've seen it, and then it sort of goes on from there. So there is another story to be. That's if the audience wants it enough. Um, but yeah, I want to do a horror comedy as well. Yeah. Oh. Oh yes, <laughs> that's that's amazing. <laughs> okay, so what's what's next for you after the unfamiliar? Though I mean, it, it, if it, if not the sequel, do you have something already planned, or what does your production studio have lined up? Yeah, so so we are waiting um, for an actor to say yes to a script, um, which is a which is one of those you write them a letter, you present the product, and then you hope they indulge in the the content, and. Uh, if they do say yes, we can make another film very soon. So I'm I'm waiting and I've already have a studio where I want to shoot it and it's everything is there. And then th so this is this is this is another film um, I'm waiting to make, uh, which will probably be in the next two to three months, I suppose. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think that I can safely say that Chris and I are looking forward to anything that you do, and uh, we're very excited for people to get to see The Unfamiliar and fall in love with it like we did. Oh, thank you. That, that, that means a lot. And thank you for, for having me as well and indulging in the film. I, I know how I know how big ask it is uh, to actually like watch it. You know, it's like I, I look at what you guys do, and I, and I think it's so cool because um, – with COVID, I had this like thing where I'm like, I'm so self-indulgent. I do all these films and then I talk about them. And then I was <laughs> like, maybe I should like, I don't know, start a podcast and talk about other people's stuff, you know? So I have a lot of admiration for what you guys do. You know, I think it's awesome. Well, I mean, and we have a lot of admiration for directors, writers, anybody in film. This is a, a an art form that Chris and I love very, very much. And, you know, we're super excited to get to talk to somebody who like is doing it and making it. It's very exciting. And uh, so, yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to us for sure. 
I think that about covers it. And that's all of our questions. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, you, you went into so much uh, detail and you didn't have to. So again, thank you very much. No, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you both guys. And yeah, um, uh, yeah, I hope we, we chat again when uh, I make my next thing. And hopefully you guys can come to set. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. We'd love oh, that. Oh, my God. Yeah, we'd love that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that'd be awesome. Cool, guys. Thank you very much. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. All right. Good luck. Cool. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So, yeah, he was super awesome to talk to. I, like, I... I don't know. I obviously don't have a lot of experience talking to film directors. And uh, I mean, I except for the ones that call in ang- with angry voicemails. Yeah, I know. It's so good to talk to a director who's nice and, <laughs> and engaging. Yeah. So um, and it was super interesting. Everything that he had to say about like the, the making of the movie, like beforehand, like pre-production and during. And um, I I'm kind of excited to see what else he does as a horror director, right? Yeah, and I, I would be really interested to see that sequel that oh yeah, he's definitely. hoping to make. You know, it's always good to see that someone's passionate enough in their project, especially a film, that they would be interested enough to make a uh, you know an actual sequel. You know, if it performs well enough, you know, if he can justify it. And based on our conversation, I kind of feel like he found a love of the horror genre. And I think that, you know, like, you know, once you go horror, you don't want to go back or something like that. You know, I mean, like, you know. Well, it would be fun to see that he said he wants to foray into horror comedy, you know, and he said he really found a community in the, you know, in, in horror, you know, and that's what we have found, certainly. So, oh, and we love horror comedies here at the Film Flamers. We dedicate every <laughs> April episode to them. So, Hank, bring it on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I just wanted to talk about a couple things in the movie that I liked a lot. Um, I really enjoyed some of the really scary moments in this. Like we talked about in the interview, the seance for me was key. Like it was a really effective moment for me in this movie. And I was just terrified watching mm-hmm. it. A lot of the security camera footage is, is creepy. Like I, I mentioned those three scares for me, and they're different scares because one's like straight up like jump scare, another one's just like creeping dread. You know, and another one just is more like a terror, you know, with the with the daughter, try, like killing herself at the piano and that kind of dream sequence, you know. And so I, you know, I thought there was a, quite a variety of different, you know, horror in this movie. And, uh, you know, it's definitely worth a watch just for the variety because um, it's not just like a, you know, a one beat film. Like he said, it does kind of go through a maze mm-hmm. you know a little bit and that's just you get to enjoy different types of horror and different like mythology and you know different you know thoughts about where the movie is going which you know may or may not be true and we're not going to spoil too much i mean at least just based on what you heard in the interviews probably the extent of our spoilers in this episode because we really want people to go and watch the movie but i really like a horror film that has lots of twists and especially when you don't really see them coming and at least for me i didn't see a lot of the these twists coming i didn't i didn't see where the end of this movie was going mm-hmm. from it and you know we we had talked about earlier this year we talked about the wretched right and i think that like sometimes twists are not so good you know but like in this particular movie i, I felt that the twist was excellent and there were there are many of them i also liked the familiar aspect in this movie like lots of different family members and like what it what it must be like to return from war and have to readjust to life i mean like that's horror adjacency in real life like at its finest and mm. it's something that i appreciate the only time that i thought i was like man this writing is lazy was when she went to the therapist and met that 
that, you know, the supposed paranormal expert. Mm -hmm. But there was a reason for that, you know, and it hung a lantern on it later. And obviously, you know, it turned out to be something else, you know. So there was a very good reason for that and kind of, um, you know, brought my expectations back up because I was like, oh, my God, okay, here we go. Here's the trope. But he uh, it's a subversion of that trope, which is which was great to see because I don't I'm not sure I can remember another horror movie that doesn't if it's going to do that trope that it doesn't reverse on it Mm -hmm. where the the psychic is not real or something like that. It usually just doubles down to get the audience on board with whatever's happening uh, to validate their feelings for whatever they're seeing on the screen. Uh, but for this, it really acts as a as a really kind of solid red herring, and I really enjoyed that aspect of the film. And I really enjoyed Jemima West's performance in this movie. I thought that it was very grounded all the way through, super believable. I thought that, I mean, like the scars on her body and the way that she reacted to them, both toward her husband and to herself, just really make the movie a good watch. And I was super excited when he said that maybe he would want to turn it into a play, because like I've said before on the show, I like very small character set movies with very few locations. And this is just one of them. Mm-hmm. So it make an amazing stage play and dare I say an amazing musical. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so Hank, if you're listening to this, like when you start to work on the stage production, throw in some songs, make it a musical. Come on. I Robert, think it would we'll be great. Back up chorus. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I will send you my audition tape. For the musical (laughs) with presently. (laughs) I also have to say, because this was a video conference, that he's super good looking. So, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm not ashamed to say that. So... Thank well, you, should we have, well, we have a hottest guy segment for our interviews the, now? The hottest guy <laughs> in the the unfamiliar is the director, Hank Pretorius, for sure. <laughs> Woo. All right. Well, now that we made it awkward, that about wraps up our uh, discussion and interview with uh, <laughs> about the unfamiliar movie. Please go and check it out. You can do so on iTunes or DirecTV or... I'm guessing other streaming services based on our conversation. Yeah, I mean, just do a search on Google for The Unfamiliar. It'll give you all the different watch options for it. Just pick the one that you have and watch it. I promise, like, you will not be disappointed. It's it's a good horror movie, and I think that people will enjoy it. Yeah, I will definitely be watching Higgs' uh, horror career from here on out. That's right. Well, guys, let us know what you think about The Unfamiliar when you watch it and let us know what you think about our interview with Hank. Uh, We may be doing some more of these interviews in the future. And if it's something that you'd like to see at The Film Flamers, you can let us know at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or even Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or please call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Leave your voice message and we'll play it on the air in the next Shooting the Flames episode. We are just getting started here in September, guys, so keep looking forward to your feeds. We're going to be talking about one of Chris's and mine's favorite horror films, Poltergeist coming up very soon and after that white noise and as you recall we had a special hot takes episode way back in july (laughs) and uh it's time for another one so chris and i have been busy watching movies and tv shows and we have a lot of things to say about the stuff that we've been watching so stay tuned and over on patreon we've released a poll for what to flash back on 
for Patreon this month. So uh, if you're not already a patron, go over there and uh, become one. Join the team and cast your vote. That's right. You can cast your vote at patreon.com slash thefilmflamers. Well, Chris, I think it's time we head out. Yeah. And maybe have some... Unfamiliar dreams? Unfamiliar dreams. (laughs) God, I wish I could say this in Hawaiian. Sweet dreams. I was about to say Hakuna Matata. (laughs) That's not Hawaiian. (laughs) He said Kahuna. Not, but Kahuna Matata? (laughs) That's... That's culturally insensitive, Robert, and I'm ashamed of you. You started it. <laughs> <laughs>